time has come. I like that. The time is now for Victoria Stilwell's Positively Podcast. She's a world-renowned dog trainer. Seen enough dogs today, have you? She's the host of It's Me or the Dog. I'm coming to train you. Along with co-host Holly Ferfer. You don't play around with that name, do you? I am a fan of Shreddy Balls. She's Victoria Stilwell, and she's ready to go. This is a lovely way to start the day. You get the busy bee. I need to trim her whiskers. I see some poo here. I feel a little bit better now because I'm the only one who usually feels stupid during the podcast. Now, let's head to the studio and get this Positively Podcast started. Hi everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I've been away for a few weeks and even in this time of COVID, I needed a break. And so I went hiking and backpacking into the backcountry, which was truly amazing. But I missed you all and now I'm back and I'm excited for the podcast because over the next months we have some amazing guests and we're going to be talking about lots of um, interesting subjects. And I'm going to start with something that is very dear to my heart, and it is all about rescue, because we've just had this major case here in Georgia, where 180 chihuahuas were rescued last week from a hoarding situation. They were rescued by my wonderful friends at Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary. They are safe, but it's 180 chihuahuas, actually 184, because over the weekend, one of the females gave birth so now there is 184 and I'm sure that will increase. But uh, I got this is a situation, you know, situations that I've been involved with living here, numerous puppy mill cases, numerous hoarding cases, some dog fighting cases. So I've had a lot of experience of dealing with dogs that have come from these situations and helping people who foster them and helping people who adopt them, because obviously a lot of these dogs are unsocialized. I thought the best person to talk about this with is the wonderful Ali Lesnar, and she is our curriculum manager, but also she is the animal scientist, dog trainer extraordinaire, and she's had a lot of experience with dogs that are transitioning from these kind of places to home life, and so I thought that this would be a good conversation to start off what is sort of coming out of the summer into the fall, into the autumn and winter and beyond to start off our podcast again. So welcome to the podcast, Ali. Thank you so much for having me, Victoria. Well, okay. 180 Chihuahua dogs rescued last week in Bucks County, Georgia. And thank goodness Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary is on hand there to take these dogs. They're going to continue to provide care as the dogs, uh, all the dogs until they're adopted. But, um, you know, a lot of these dogs, as we know from hoarding situations, they never go out of the house. There might be a backyard in some of these situations, so they might go outside into a backyard, but, or a back garden, but really that's all the life they know. And so while they might be surrounded by loads of other dogs, which is stressful in itself, They've never really seen any other human being other than the human that is, quote, taking care of them. So now you've got all of these dogs and they're chihuahuas. I'm a chihuahua owner, so I know what chihuahuas are like. I've worked with a lot of them, too. These are very small, feisty dogs, but they all think they're huge, big rottweilers. So and they bite hard. So you've got these dogs that come from this situation. They are now 
uh, Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary is doing an amazing job, but they realized that these dogs have to go into fosters first before they can be adopted by families because these dogs need to have time to transition. You've had experience of working with dogs that are fearful, working with dogs that uh, have experienced trauma, that are unsocialized. So, Ali, what do you do when you first get a dog from into a foster home? Because the shelters, a lot of the shelters around here do an amazing job. What happens when the dog goes to a foster home? Victoria, it's a great question. I think that the first thing I want to do is ensure that the foster understands what this dog is going through. And it's so difficult because as humans, who I imagine were raised by a family and they probably went to school and they probably saw other humans and other animals and they've been on field trips or they've done a bunch of different things in their lives that have led up to this moment and on planes on trains and seeing all these different things and play games and all these different interactions are part of our socialization and what's interesting is we hear this word socialization in the dog training world and the good news is that now it's becoming a buzzword in the general public which is fabulous because I remember 10 years ago when that wasn't a word that people used. It really has become the norm now that people know, oh, I need to socialize my puppy. But one thing that I tend to talk about with fosters is to talk about it's not so much socialization as it is social acclimation. To get this in their heads that it's really to acclimate to something. So to think about a new experience maybe that they've never been to or something, how long would it take them to get acclimated. So Victoria, what do you, like what's a new experience or something like a, a new car or a new office or something? Have you moved anything around lately that you've had to get, I guess COVID, have you had to acclimate to your new environment? Yes, I mean, uh, as we all have, we've having to, we're having to get used to this new normal. But um, I think when you bring up getting a new car, I had, a, uh, gosh, I got a new car about five years ago and um, it was very different to the, to, to the, to the mom minivan that I'd been driving. And so it took me a while to, to uh, acclimatize, acclimate to this car. And um, actually, I, it, it, this car is an infinity. So it has this very, very long nose, whereas minivan doesn't. So, you know, it took me a while to kind of work it out. Um, and and I, I, fortunately, I fixed it, but, but that, that's how, it, it was odd. It was just an odd thing. And, and that's, it might, what I had to go through is minute compared to the journey that dogs from these kind of situations have to make. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Or think about coming from England over to the U.S. where everything is on the other side of your car, even. So that's pretty crazy to have to, to, have to acclimate to driving on the correct side of the road, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, totally. It is the correct side. Everybody should be driving on the left-hand side, yes. No, and that's strange. And when I do go back to England and I do have to drive on the other side of the road, I really, really have to think about it because now, because I've lived in America for so long, driving on the right-hand side of the road, that's, that's, that's the correct side. That's mm -hmm. the side that feels the easiest, but then I have to think about it. So yes, uh, I also, when we talk about this term socialization, I, uh, another word I like to use is exposure. What have these dogs been exposed to? Not a lot. And what are they going to have to be exposed to now they're in a foster or now they're in an adoption because because or, or they've been adopted because a lot of 
rescue organizations, they don't have a good foster program. So, and then of course, once something like this happens, everyone gets very excited and wants to adopt the dogs very quickly without realizing actually what it's gonna to take to transition dogs from the life that they're the only life they've ever known to now this completely different life. A life of fridges and microwaves and television and alarms and phones ringing and smells and people and even having a roof over your head if you've been in a situation like a puppy mill where you've never had a roof over your head. And that's where I was thinking of is that we, you know, acclimating, for, I can't imagine acclimating to the other side of the road. That would just be nuts. And I feel like it would take me honestly several weeks to, to really do that. Obviously, I'd have to do it much quicker if I'm driving. I do have to adapt. But to really get to a point where my motor patterns change, that I don't have to think twice when I enter a roundabout, or I don't have to think twice about, you know, whatever the difficult bits are, turning left or turning right, that I don't have to think about as an American. Instead, I would think as a Brit of driving. And so I think about the same thing. Is these chihuahuas, you're kind of looking in their house, they have some rugs and maybe some unfinished... Uh, concrete and so those are very rough surfaces they're very grippy and so then you think about if they go into the shelter and now they have polished concrete or tile and then they go into the foster home and they're on hardwoods so as humans we don't think anything different about it it's just for flooring we have hardwoods we have rugs we have carpet all sorts of stuff but to this dog you've essentially taken them and for me it'd be like putting me on ice skates and putting me on an ice rink that's totally different. How long did it take you to acclimate? Even if you're exposed to this ice rink, how long would it take you to be able to cope and move about normally? Some people oh, came to it really quickly. Some people know. I, so, I was an ice skater when I was, I was an ice skater when I was younger and uh, relatively decent. I had classes and everything. And then, gosh, I think it was two years ago, I came over to England at Christmas time and there is an ice skating rink that they put right next to the Tower of London. So we went with friends of ours and I got on that ice and I was awful. I couldn't skate for the life of me. And then there was this one skater, a young male skater, who thought it was really fun to knock into people. And so I fell so hard and heavy. I hurt my hip. I, hurt, I was like, A, I'm old and B, this sucks and I'm getting off the ice. But no, I didn't, it was, it was really, really hard. So yes, I really like that analogy. And it's not even just about the surface either. Like you said, Victoria, it's microwaves, fridges. So now we're changing the surface that you're walking on. We're changing all the noises that you hear. We're changing, you know, what if the foster has a cat or other dogs? And these dogs maybe have never seen another cat before. They've never even never been outside. So now thinking about walking on grass, seeing the sky above you, and having a bird fly over. I could totally see one of those chihuahuas hitting the deck and cowering when a bird flies over because they've never had anything go above them, they've never had anything go above their head. So how many times is it going to take them to acclimate to a bird flying overhead? You know, if it were me, I'd have to wait a couple times to be sure that this thing isn't going to fall out of the sky or drop anything on me. And then you get to the well-meaning fosters that think about socialization as, oh, I just need to, you know, expose them to as many things as possible. Exposure is half of it. The other half is doing it at the dog's pace. And so if we think, oh, well, maybe, you know, the Noah's Ark told me, which I'm not saying Noah's Ark would say this, if Noah's Ark says they need to be more socialized, an honest thing for a foster would be to, well, let's have a bunch of people over and have a party 
and we'll have a what, meet the Chihuahua party. And so Victoria, how do you think, what would you say if you were the Chihuahua in that situation? I would say, hell no. I would say, absolutely. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't want to see anybody just go away. I would be cowering under the bed or in the corner or in the closet. I'd be like, just get, get out. Yeah. Yeah. And then thinking about how it's all these people, but then maybe they had a cake and they had some decorations and everybody came and brought a gift for the Chihuahua. So they brought bags and tissue paper and then they wanted the Chihuahua to unwrap all of them. And all these things, we're going a little bit to the extreme, but these things have happened before. And I've had so many times where clients want to have puppy showers, which I think is adorable by the way, but they want the puppy to open, unwrap the presents and pull the paper. It's so cute, it's oh on God. Instagram. And you think about, oh my goodness, but not only with puppies, we're really kind of a blank slate, but with these dogs coming from a hoarding situation. You know, let's think about that. Let's look, I'm looking at the pictures here from the news article and just kind of looking at their environment and just kind of thinking about the things that maybe they would have been exposed to. So like, what do you think I mean, what's, what's lacking in this picture that they would see maybe even in their first day at, in Foster? Gosh, well, um, the pictures that I'm looking at, um, well, I mean, obviously there's, there's dirt everywhere. It's, the, 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 the animals actually, apart from they had, uh, they all had fleas, um, but they were fed. They were, so uh, apart from that and uh, apart from some other medical conditions, these dogs were quite healthy, which is, um, not not that normal for a hoarding case. So at least they'd been fed. But um, from these pictures, I, a, I don't really see people. I don't see a lot of appliances. Um, uh, I see that some of them have been outside as well as inside. There are beds, so they'd be okay with beds. But I just see a lot of wood everywhere and carpet. And so maybe maybe wooden floors would be the first thing that these these dogs would have to learn how to walk on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing wood floors. I'm seeing, you know, just a sidewalk. Have they ever been out on a sidewalk or out in a neighborhood? And also thinking all of them, well, first of all, they're all adorable. Um, second of all, they're all naked. So nobody's wearing collars or harnesses. So that is probably one of the first things that, you know, you, you want to walk your, the dog that you're fostering, you want to bond with them, you know, that's what they like. And so you want to put a collar, you want to put a harness on them. But what would you think if you're a chihuahua that's never worn anything on your body and now all of a sudden somebody wants to put you in clothes? <laughs> yeah, we find, uh, we find that a lot, especially, you know, um, dogs from puppy mills when we've done a puppy mill bust and then all of a sudden you're introducing a collar to them or oh, and they're itching, itching, scratching at their neck. What is this sort of weird feeling around my neck? And then you have this leash. Oh my God. And so, you know, you're finding, you're carrying, especially if it's a puppy mill that has huskies or golden retrievers, they ain't moving. So you're carrying these big 70 pound dogs to the, to the vans or to the stations where they get vetted before they're put on transport to go to the, to the shelter. So, because they can't, because the equipment is very new. So yes, so because they're chihuahuas, you're thinking of, oh, these, these guys are going to have to wear um, maybe a collar, but definitely they're going to have a harness if you're going to walk them so they're going to have to get used to that strange feeling around them it's yeah, can, you can you imagine running in the woods victoria naked for like the first 20 years of your life and then somebody comes on and 
and slams on some skinny jeans on you, how would you feel? <laughs> oh no, yeah, that would just be very odd. It would be very odd. But I think these are things, these very simple things, people, whether it's because they don't understand or whether it's just because they're very excited or it's just because they want to show everybody their new dog or people don't understand that this transition, even simple things like having a leash and a collar, of course, but for how we walk with dogs or having a harness. For these dogs, these dogs from situations that haven't been gradually exposed to this stuff, as they grow, are um, are now having to experience it's like an assault on the senses, the assault on touch, and sounds and smells and sights, and uh, every single sense is going to be challenged. So it is first, if we could give fosters or adopters um, that, uh, more of an understanding, it's that. First thing you have to do is understand that dog's sensory experience. What has the situation been like? And what journey is that dog going to have to make to be able to live successfully in a home? And I think you just hit the nail on the head there with assault, because there's one other thing that we haven't discussed yet. And I mentioned how cute these dogs were, but they are beyond cute. These little prick ears, these gorgeous eyes, and they're so small and tiny that I can't, I can barely contain myself. I want to go scoop them all up, but I don't see humans in these pictures. I don't see people holding these dogs very much. So when we think about in the foster home and you're walking, maybe you finally gotten a harness on and you're out walking, how many people are going to want to come up? How many children are going to want to come up or how many guests are going to want to come up and pet this dog and pick, potentially even pick the dog up? Oh, chihuahuas. Everybody wants to pick a chihuahua up. When I'm walking Jasmine on the on the street, I mean, she's fine with people, but she's just, just a, she's not a dog person and she's also not a people person. Um, you know what I mean when I say person, but she's just not. And so, um, but she's cute little chihuahua. So everybody wants to pet her. And then there's this person looming down. Trying to, and I'm like, oh, you know what? She doesn't, she doesn't really like people. <laughs> and then very nice to just get away. Please don't touch, touch my dog. But yes. You imagine these guys are going to be picked up. They're going to be kissed. They're going to be, oh, put it in your handbag. They get, oh my gosh, could you imagine? So, um, all right. Well, first, first we know that understanding their experience as much as we can and getting as much information from the rest of the organization that the dog comes from is important. But what do you do then? Apart from understanding the experience, what do you do? Where do you start? Yeah, so we don't want to overwhelm the foster either because they have just taken a big step to helping this dog. You know, it's not just any dog. They have really put themselves forward and volunteered themselves to help this dog come back in to the world, really, to help them acclimate to the world. So fosters are near and dear to my heart and they're really special people to want to take time to help this dog. We also don't want to overwhelm all of their senses and give them an assault on, oh my goodness, you have to do this, you have to do this. We want to make it easy for them. And I think the easiest thing we can do is to help them think about exposure acclimation and just think about it as work at the dog's pace. Just be mindful of how many things you're exposing the dog to. You know, be mindful of the senses, how many things are we stimulating at once. Try and pick one thing at a time to expose the dog to and just let the dog work at his own pace. Really let these guys be. That if we let them be and let them explore on their own and take time, that they really will start to come out of their shell. Luckily, dogs are really resilient, but also they can be very curious. And 
we have bred them over over thousands of years, especially chihuahuas, especially toy breeds, to be true companions to us. And they may not be as quote unquote social with humans as another dog who would have encountered uh, humans earlier in life. However, it, it does take time and we have to work at their pace. So thinking about what we talked about, Victoria, with the different surfaces and the harnesses and things, using treats to encourage, but also working at the dog's pace and allowing them to come into the space. So like for an example, if you had a, a rug, put the rug out, let them explore the rug, let them move on the rug rather than picking them up and putting it down. It's very easy with the chihuahua to want to put them places but let them do that. And same with the harness, let them explore the harness on the ground rather than just kind of shoving it on. And that's really important, the giving, giving these dogs space. So yes, taking the pressure off, giving them time, giving them space, giving them that ability to practice avoidance if they want. If you want to go underneath the bed, try not to go underneath the bed after them and try and get them out, right? If you don't want them to go under the bed, then block the bed shut the closet, give somewhere that your chihuahua, your, your dog, whatever it is, can go to and practice avoidance. And so that is their safe zone, their safe space. I'm so hot on this and I know at the academy um, and also with our Positively courses that we will be launching very soon that um, a lot of what we talk about is this, this is empowerment. And one of the ways to do that is, is give the dog the power to practice avoidance. And um, and of course, you know, chihuahuas can be very picky. They can be very picky eaters. And so you might think that a nice little biscuit is a great treat. And the chihuahua goes, uh -uh, I don't like that. So you might have to do some problem solving and find some kind of food that is dog's Achilles heel. What do they really, really like? And use that to get acquainted as well, to help motivate your dog. Victoria, I'm thinking about this, this flight and this avoidance and, you know, any any animal when we come into conflict we think about flight fight and we're the same way and we have to acclimate to our situation like right now with covid we're probably either you're alone or you're very much the opposite of alone that you're with your family in these small environments and conflict is going to come up more often and it may be true in the case of a dog that comes from a hoarding situation that we're doing so much acclimation, so much change, so much exposure that conflict is going to come about. So if we think about options of flight or fight, goodness, wouldn't we much prefer flight, the dog to go avoid us instead of, I'm sure that many of you are thinking, man, I wish my spouse would do that. Just walk away <laughs> rather than start this conflict again. So encourage your dog. When your dog chooses to leave the room, or the dog chooses not to engage with this item and just says, you know what, this exposure is too much for me, I need a break, that's what we want to reinforce and reward. And in this case, it may just be to let the dog go do it because it's reinforcing by itself for the dog to go and take a break on their own. So listening and working at the dog's pace. Now we've got the point to the point now then where we've taken pressure off, we've given the dog time, um, we're starting to do gradual exposure, the dog is adapted to our back and front yard or garden and um, the people that are in the house the dog is fine with. Um, now, now what do we do? How do we start taking it out for a walk? How do we do that? Yeah, because part of life, we talk about these conflicts, conflict is a part of life. Challenges are a part of life. Stress is a part of life. And fear is something, and I learned this from you, Victoria, that fear 
is supposed to be adaptive, meaning it's supposed to serve a function for you, whereas something like phobia is more maladaptive, that it's not serving you well. It's not, it's not, it's not helpful that I'm terrified of butterflies and have to sprint across a park when I see a butterfly. That doesn't, that doesn't increase my fitness at all. So as a biologist, I know that that's bad. But me running out of the way in the road of a car, that fear is adaptive. That is helpful. That helps me not get run over by a car, whereas getting run over by a butterfly doesn't really result in anything. <laughs> so with these dogs, we do want to start to push them. Once we do, we have given them their space. We have given them time. You know, I want to reach out to all those fosters out there and say, you don't have to change your entire life for your foster dog. You matter as well. Your needs matter as well. And a dog trainer can help you bridge the gap between your needs and wants and your dog's needs and wants. So while I applaud all of you who, you know, drop everything for these foster dogs, that's amazing. At some point, we do want them to come into kind of a more normal life and adapt to your lifestyle so that you can have a happy place. Because if you're not in your happy place, probably not going to be a happy place for that dog. They're so in tune with our emotions. So once you do feel more comfortable and your dog is does have safe spaces and does feel comfortable in the home this is when we can start to push them and, and we do we will use treats of course it positively we believe in positive reinforcement so that's when we will start to push them and i know victoria you are great when you work with jasmine that jasmine is not always super comfortable in all these environments and yet sometimes we have to say come on old girl you can do it and you ask her you use things like touch don't you Yes, I love the touch cue. It's it's an, and here's where training comes in because, of course, we talk about management, managing the environment, preventing uh, behaviours that we deem to not fit into our into our social society or is 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 dangerous for the dog, dangerous for us. So that um, we it, we then after preventing behaviour that we don't want to happen. Um, we then teach life skills and I think that's a very important part of it and uh, the life skill that I like to start with it's so easy is touch um, for those of you who um, don't know what touch is I do have a lot of videos on it but it will be available we are we're going to be releasing all uh, kinds of amazing um, courses in in uh, more towards fall and winter um, on positively but it, it, to be able to teach touch it's just a skill and really it is it's just teaching the dog to touch the hand. And it's as easy as that. And it seems very simple, but my gosh, it means then that that hand becomes something that, or, or that action of touching the hand becomes something that the dog knows and is comfortable with. And then when it knows and it's fluent and it's comfortable with, then you can use that action to move the dog out the way or to call your dog to you or to for your dog to do that action when somebody comes into its environment that it doesn't feel good about. And so touch now becomes something that's very useful in real life. And we are not trainers that uh, say, oh, we're going to do all these fancy things um, and not put them into real life. I mean, these things have to work. No point in teaching your dogs to do something unless you can do it in a real life situation. And touch can be what I've called with clients before a secret handshake. So say, for instance, you do have one of these dogs from a hoarding situation where they really aren't comfortable with many people, but it's been, you know, it's been a few months and the dog is comfortable in your home, loves your whole family, loves the dogs in your family, um, but you really want guests to be able to come over. And so if you can start to do that and teach touch all over the room, and then now you can ask the dog to maybe touch the guest's shoe. 
and give them the space to also move away if they don't want to engage and give them treats and praise and fun stuff when they do touch this person. I've used that before with clients that ultimately then the guest asked for touch. And it was the dog was like, wait, you know, touch? You, you know my thing? How did you know my thing? That's my secret thing with my person. And I didn't know I could do that with you. And I get an even better treat when I do it with you. Are you kidding? And so then the dog, it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you, know you knew my language. I didn't know you knew my thing. And so now they can start to bond and then do some other behaviors with this new person. And ultimately, they'll end, they may even end up curling up and having a real relationship with that person. So it's possible to translate those to, to other people. Yeah, and you know, I mean, chihuahuas, let's talk, go back to the chihuahuas. Um, if you are in Georgia and you're thinking of being a foster to, to one of the chihuahuas or a, a, even adopting them, um, contact Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary for more information. But um, it's smart dogs, right? So uh, they're, they're going to learn pretty quickly. And what we remember when we talk about training and uh, we talk about teaching them, giving them life skills, remember those dogs are learning 24-7. So basically everything you're doing in the ho house and just you walking by, you turning on the television, it's all learning. Um, and, and I love what you say, Ali, about that, you know, you, you do have to challenge them sometimes. We can't just wrap these dogs even from situations like this in cotton wool, because if you start tiptoeing around them all the time, that almost makes them even more unconfident because you're displaying weird kind of behavior. And, and actually that's doing them a disservice because then your guest that comes in, visitor, play date, whoever it is that comes around and says, and wants to hang out is not gonna do that. So um, if you can start as soon as possible to be as normal as possible, with this with the dog that comes into your house either as a foster or if you have adopted it then then that's much that's more the better mm -hmm. and i would let that dog tell you let the dog be the barometer of progress so when you can look at the dog and maybe the first week you had them their ears were back they were cowering their paw was raised they were showing you know their tail was tucked they were showing signs of pretty intense fear and you kind of went about your business in a different room. And you know, by the end of that week, the dog was still in the other room, but the ears were up a little bit or more neutral, or the tail was not so far tucked. You know, you can use the dog's body language as a barometer of how well they're doing. So that maybe in a few weeks, when you walk by, the dog's sleeping and doesn't even notice you walking by. So that's how we can start to measure when it's time to push when it's time to stop because if we are going about our lives normally and the dog is going back to cowering again and again and again that's when we know maybe we need to back it up a little bit well we're coming to the end of our podcast but um i i think that i think that we should well definitely because i'm friends with the with the wonderful people down at noah's ark animal sanctuary so i'll keep everybody posted here about how these chihuahuas do and then maybe at some point, if they need help with some of them, I'll go down and do a little bit of training. And um, Ali, I'm inviting you down too. So, um, but that uh, also I want to say that Noah's Ark Animal Sanctuary, you can find them on Google and find them online um, in situated in Locust Grove. They definitely do donations right now. So if you have anything that you could donate, please, 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 they, they need it because they, they are giving exceptional care to these dogs. Thank you so much them from us all for um for rescuing them and um i'm so glad that they're all safe but uh i'm also excited ali because we're working on quite an exciting project right now aren't we that is going to make it a lot easier for anybody 
who has a dog, is thinking of getting a dog, uh, to, to live in harmony with that dog. And so, I mean, in the next, I would say, gosh, three months, four months, maybe, there will be a series of wonderful courses coming out that you can take that are easy to utilize and um, that will be, that will give you really great information. So we're, we're working on that. Yeah, it's all about habit and lifestyle and trying to make it as easy as possible to integrate this dog into the lifestyle that you want to live as a dog owner. And so that's what we're thinking about. I'm thinking about with these little chihuahuas that they're going to go into a home and they're going to become somebody's, you know, whole world. And uh, Victoria, I know you know that I have chihuahua dreams. Yes, you do. You have yes. chihuahua dreams. And, and what are your two chihuahuas called again? Well, then my future chihuahuas one day, perhaps, uh, Ceviche and Gaspacho. <laughs> and is it just, just because thinking. you like the names of them? Yes, of course. And I can just see, can't you just see little Pacho standing up and saying, my name's Gaspacho. This is my girl <laughs> Ceviche. It'd be adorable. They will be adorable. I'm telling you, I love chihuahuas. They, they're, you know, people, it's, it's interesting because, you know, we do a lot of training with all different breeds of dogs and, you know, the, when you come to a German Shepherd, you're like, ah, yeah, it's a great dog. I'm going to be able to teach it all kinds of things. It's going to be able to do the washing up and the laundry and everything. And then you come to a chow or a chihuahua or whatever, and you go, oh, shit, here we go. Excuse my French. Here we go. Um, yeah, this is going to be this is going to be interesting because they're feisty personalities. But as I said, these are these dogs are incredible dogs. That they're very intelligent. So I'm well, Victoria, you. Them. You have a Chihuahua and a Shih Tzu, which I was thinking that would be the other breed that I would say, oh boy, that, you know, we want to do what? <laughs> yeah. We're going to motivate the Shih Tzu with what? <laughs> yeah, Bella, you know, we got her, gosh, nearly two years ago now, and um, Bella is just the most wonderful dog. She's a senior dog. She's now 13, and um, her recall is absolutely appalling, um, and uh, I haven't really worked on it that much because there's, she has just she kind of hangs out in our house and um there's I, I don't need to use recall with her very much but but we we're, we're building it up and um so she is getting better but when you recall her she kind of looks at you and then goes I don't think so today I think I'm just gonna be here so then I'm looking like a right Charlie running around and getting excited and having to and you know and then eventually she goes, okay, I'm old. Give me a moment, uh, which I think is quite funny, but she's an amazing dog. So yeah, so it can be, can be, can be difficult to, um, to train, but she's an amazing dog. So I'm very, I'm, I'm very glad that these dogs are safe. And, and I hope that if you're a fosterer of any kind of dog from a situation like this, thank you for fostering. And if you adopt a dog from a, a rescue organization or, um, or a shelter, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I really hope that this podcast has helped you today, given you a few tips, given you a few ideas, um, and helped you uh, transition your dog, or will help you in the future transition any dog from your home to home life, because that's what wonderful fosterers do. So thank you so much for joining me, Ali, and uh, please come back again. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, everybody. Please be safe in this time of COVID. Wear your mask. And um, if you're going back to school, be safe going back to school. 
know that we will be back next week and we love you loads take care thanks for tuning in to victoria stillwell's positively podcast for more information visit positively.com get connected on facebook and youtube as victoria stillwell or follow her on twitter at victoria s be sure to tune in next time as victoria helps to change dogs lives positively.